three, two, one. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to a new episode of Project Tahiti. It's a magical place. I'm one of your hosts, Jess, and I'm joined by your other host, Jared. What's up? Hello. Um, you were texting me about this. I think it was yesterday or the day before, but um, I now know of one person that listens to this podcast that has never watched the show. <laughs> Gina. <laughs> yeah, one of our friends uh enjoys the podcast and told me that they were tearing up about the most recent one we posted talking about Gemma and Fitz's like relationship, which I thought was really, really nice. Like and a testament to your recaps <laughs> and our discussion. Yeah. Well, it just you know, like we always joke around about like if you haven't watched, like what are you doing here? But I guess like you can do it. <laughs> no, I, I can do be done. Like, like like the weird uh, you know, like, how did this get made? One of my favorite podcasts. Like, I only, I have watched probably like half the movies already. And of the other half, I only probably watch half of those because, like, the rest are like, oh, some awful movie from the 70s is either hard to find or some made for TV movie or whatever. Like, 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 uh, like, some of them it's more fun to just hear people talk about. And that's not exactly the same thing as this. But it is just, just interesting thinking about how all podcast things are different. And, like, I guess. I people listen to podcasts all the time about things they're not necessarily the biggest fans of just for the information or I don't know the dynamics. Well, that's true. Um, I don't know. I guess you're right though. Like with your movie podcast, you can just based off of like the discussion, you can kind of figure out what was happening. But we do yeah. a recap, like a full recap, so it's like you no, could actually true. just know what had happened in the episode, like because of our recap so i don't know it makes sense but i just thought it was funny because we always joke about it but it someone our, one of our friends actually does it <laughs> and thank you Gina, for listening i appreciate it so much <laughs> um before we get started we are a part of the but why though podcast community so be sure be sure to check them out on twitter at but why though pc and their website but why though podcast.com we are super proud to be a part of their community um, so I think when we had Jacqueline on, we kind of talked about this, but this, uh, well, no, we didn't because we were talking about the most recent season, <laughs> which has absolutely nothing to do with this, but this episode that we're covering today, it, it was directed by Clark Gregg. Um, I think the reason I connected it is because he's directing a couple episodes in season seven. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I think... I don't know if it's the one that just aired or something else, but but one of the episodes coming up, I think this final season is directed by Elizabeth Hinstridge. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Very cool, yeah. Look at our little S.H.I.E.L.D. people moving on up and doing creative things other than acting. <laughs> it's nice to see. Um, let's see. So this is season five, episode six, titled Fun and Games. None of this was fun. There were a lot of games. It's an okay title. Uh, written by Brent Fletcher, directed by Clark Gregg. Originally aired January 5th, 2018. Insane. Um, <laughs> no, it's only two years ago, but this feels so long ago. So much has happened. <laughs> it does. It feels like forever ago, but also like yesterday. Like it's times are insane. Um, I don't know. It's weird. A lot has changed. Since 2018, January 5th, 2018, a lot has changed. Um, so if you forgot where we left off from last time, um, we don't know where May is. 
uh, Sonara and her were having it out in that sciency room, the lab, and Sonara came back and May didn't. So <laughs> we're gonna find out where she is, where she's been, uh, and it's not great. Um, but first, um, we get to see a little bit of Flint's. Oh God, what are you sending me? I'm sending. Oh this, no! <laughs> no, no. This this relates directly to the scene you're talking about. Okay, do you want me to talk about the scene you first? Or do you uh, want to go, go, go ahead and, and introduce the scene, and then and I, you can see what I'm going to talk about. I just showed you the, shared, shared you the pictures. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm now confused. Okay, so the scene opens up, and we get a little glimpse of Flint's life. He's, like, sleeping in this, like, storage closet, and he has clearly, he's clearly a scavenger, and he grabs a, a half of a pair of scissors, Um. And he like walks down the hallway. He tries to, he has like a, it looks like an Altoid tin. He like tries to barter it with like some girl in the hallway and she gives him a small amount of credits or whatever the currency is. And then the citrus guy walks by and he's like, hey, can I, come on citrus. And then he just ignores him and he's like, oh man. So he goes to Grill, um, who we know as a bastard and an asshole who just takes advantage of people and uh, lets people sell themselves into his slavery uh, bin. Um, and he barters the scissors to Grill so he can go buy an orange. And Grill is, like, obviously generous to Flint, like, overly generous and, like, helps him out. And this is clearly, like, an established relationship between the two of them. So it's a different take on Grill that I, I love that this show does. Um, and the Cree find Flint and like, we've been looking for you and they take him away. Okay, please explain to me what these images are. <laughs> okay, so the thing that I shared, okay, the second one is the context. So I'm watching and I was like, wait, what? What does that say? The first thing, the first thing he pulls out, yeah, before he pulls out the scissors. Okay, so for context, for the listeners, yeah, um, so you sent you put two pictures in our chat here, and one is like the 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 complete fourth season DVD set cover for Rizzoli and Isles. Yes, and then the second is a photo of the actor who plays Flint holding a CD. Oh, a CD. He's, <laughs> or holding, a book the, or he's holding the DVD case. He's holding the season DVD set. For mm -hmm. Rizzoli and Isles season four, it's just like faded because it's like yeah. 90 years in the future or whatever. So, and, you know, the earth exploded. So one of the few things that survives <laughs> the destruction of Earth is a DVD of Rizzoli and Isles season four. And I have to assume someone on production, if not higher up, you know, Works involved, who worked on that show and mm -hmm. had, just had a free copy of it to, to dirty up for the as a prop but it like focused on it in such a way where like it is clearly in focus i took like a hundred screen grabs in those <laughs> two seconds that he moved it across the screen i was like how like because i read it just when he pulled it across from like one second i my brain registered and i was like was only an aisles that show my parents watched on tnt <laughs> i was like what <laughs> like, that's hilarious see i thought that was a book i didn't catch my vision is really bad anyway but i didn't catch that that was it's such a darkly Something. lit uh, season. It's really dark thing too. We did yeah. talk about with Jacqueline when we yeah. went over, like a little. We talked about this previous season. We, she she had really nailed how dark and darkly lit this whole season is. I think that's part of it. Is it like the mystery of not being quite able to make out what stuff was, but also like the high contrast because this was a very bright image because it is so like worn out, worn out. It's like you can almost see the white cardboard underneath or whatever. Like, but 
yeah, no, that's just uh, it totally distracted me for the rest of the episode. <laughs> I, I I didn't want. I, I kept having to rewind because I'd started to Google it and I wanted to like see if there's some creative connection, but I kept stopping myself because I was like, no, I need to watch this episode. <laughs> so I, I never could find out what the connection is, but I will uh, mark my words next episode. <laughs> Whenever we do record, I will, I will figure it out. <laughs> Why? Also, when we post this, if you don't find anything out, we need to post on Twitter and see if anybody knows. I just, um, I can't, it cracked me up so bad. Like I love it. That so is much. hilarious. What the fuck? So random. Like, what do I try to trade? Scissors weird. or Rizzoli and Isles? Yeah, Rizzoli and Isles, nope, not going to get me anything. No oranges for me. The scissors, yeah. I just like that. that in the future, that's what they, that's how they remember our our era is Rizzoli and Isles, of course. I wonder what he thinks that is. Like, <laughs> two's company, three's a crime. <laughs> Oh, it is such a yeah. They're they're it, the cover is the two main characters lying on top of a picnic blanket like thing that's on top of a dead body with caution tape. It's preposterous. It it makes the show look nothing like what the show actually is. And I I, I don't think I've ever seen an episode. I've seen like maybe a few seconds Previews. here and there. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it's just a procedural show where for some reason a medical examiner is out on the case with a detective instead yeah. of their actual partner like most shows that yeah. don't make any sense it makes more sense than castle where it's nathan Fillion as a, a writer who's for yeah. some reason partnered with a detective <laughs> at, le at least the crime scene investigators or or you know uh morticians or whatever like actually work in police <laughs> but anyway that's my weird aside it's my limit for this episode but i'm gonna limit myself to no more weird asides because this one is on point but super weird <laughs> Oh my god and it makes me wonder all of the things that we might have missed yeah. <laughs> who, who, what posters were up in the van in daisy's van now right? i gotta go back you have to recap recap well, now i'm really gonna pay attention because i'm sure there's other random shit that they've put into like this the, the you know the dystopian future earth like because i don't know they clearly have some stuff passed down i, I bet there's stuff in the zephyr that I don't know. Anyway, that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> it survived the destroyer of worlds. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> anyway, so the Kree find Flint and they take him away. Um, and Coulson, Yo-Yo, and Mac uh, meet up with Tess and she's like, something terrible has happened. She's like, the Kree have come to harvest the children. What the fuck does that mean? Um, so Fitz and Enoch are in Cassius's, you know, lounge quarters whatever his his both his dining room his brooding room where he cuts trees and where he eats i don't know his <laughs> this room is, is many things in one um and enoch is giving him intel on like the other people the other bidders that are in the room he's like oh this guy and i oh i can't stand him and blah blah, blah. and Fitz is like, oh, this sounds great. And Enoch's like, don't worry. Like, you can you can handle these guys because the he has constructed an alias called Bosch Talk, um, which, you know how we've been talking so much about how he his guys reminds us of Bausch or Boosh or however you say it, Leia's character in Return of the Jedi? I'm wondering, unless that's a comics connection, I'm wondering if that's like... You know, I think it is a comics name. I, is that's it? Not, okay. I don't believe it is. So I think I think you're right. I think that's probably. I feel like right. that's a nod at Star Wars. <laughs> no, and it's, it, that and that seems like 
right up their alley, you know? Like, it seems, like, plausible. Yeah. Also, this is 2018. This is... Height of Star Wars popularity? Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. I mean, when was Last Jedi released? That was 2017, right? Yeah, December 2017. Yep. So this this probably would have been filming before that aired, and so it was, like, super hyped, like, on the tails of Force Awakens Rogue One hype. So... Oh, and Carrie Fisher had died like the year before. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe that's a little shout out to her. That's kind of if I like how we're just completely making or I'm completely making this up. Like this could be nothing, <laughs> but we're turning it into this thing. Anyway, um, Enoch has like crafted like rumors and stories around this character. Apparently he's very like, I don't know, menacing and he has a reputation and he has this thing that remind he has this like pin on his jacket that reminded me of the imperial um officer ranking pins except it's a, a tally of how many people he's killed and it's made out of some type of larvae and it's funny because this i feel, feel like is the beginning of all the weird alien shit that we see in in next season in season six that was just like this doesn't feel like S.H.I.E.L.D., but here it is. Here's the beginning of it. Just, like, weird references to weird alien shit that, like, I'm sure if you're a comics person, it makes total sense to you. But to me, it's, like, it's it's just jargon. <laughs> and I feel like it's because of how much jargon it is that it really is apparent. Because I think, like, it really starts as early as the first season with with stuff like little hints, like the Asgardian guy and the yeah. Kree developing stuff, and then more and more where they, they got into Hydra and their connection to the Kree and human stuff. But I think that because it was on Earth in the present day with mostly Earthlings, like it was just, it was, that shit was to a minimum. Whereas now we might as well be watching Star Trek. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Now um, they're referencing things that come up in season six. So it's not foreign to me now. Like I know what, what Kitson is. I know. Yeah. Oh man. Is, the Kitson one. I was like, Whoa. There were a couple other things that they talked about too, that I was like, Oh yeah, I know what that is now that I've watched season six and other, you know, guardians of the galaxy for one um, and other Marvel films. I'm like, Oh, I recognize that stuff. But yeah, at the time I don't remember if it was just jargon. <laughs> When it, and it's referencing both, like you say, the MCU and comics, but it's also creating its own stuff. Like, as we talked about, Kitson, I think, is named after a creator on the show. Yeah. Even though I had suspected maybe it was from an old British comic guy who does have some Marvel credits, but mostly DC, Could I be think. Both. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knows? But, but I feel like there are definitely things that are unique to the show and part of the show's mythology that might have, like, started off as a tribute to something from the comics or whatever, but are its own thing. And that's kind of cool, too. But it's also... At this stage, it's harder to figure out what the, the basis of a lot of stuff is because they could be pulling from Marvel, pulling from comics, pulling from movies specifically, or like like you said with the Bostock thing, like they could easily be pulling from pop culture that everyone knows and loves, like Star Wars. So yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. Um, and another reason why I thought it was like very Star Wars is because Enoch gets very 3PO, K2SO here. He's very droid like. He's like the odds of survival and blah, blah, blah. And he's like li listing off like, you know all of these statistics and and things like that and i don't know he just felt like very droid companion to me here <laughs> and i don't think it's out of character i feel like in some ways it's like establishing this a little bit but i do think like you're right like it's very much like these are almost like little reminders if this was pop-up video 
there'd be little pop-ups on the screen that say, remember, Enoch's a robot. That's why he talks like this. So he would just be constantly telling <laughs> you that. Interested friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Enoch really, I remember Enoch really growing on me in this episode, especially at the end. Um. <laughs> oh, no, he's great at the end. His, his oh, yeah. humorous side uh, is coming out more uh, in this episode, I think. I don't think we mentioned it when we recorded last time. We might have, but they did announce that Joel Stoffer is going to be in the new in a, uh, season of Stranger Things, which yeah, I saw like, that. Has reinvigorated my interest in it. Like Enoch, whether he's playing to typecast since he's a good guy in a suit who's a weird bald guy, or if, or if he's going to be a Russian, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I could see him. Man, he could easily be a Russian. He could be some sort of other dimensional being pretending to be a person he's good at that he's good at yeah, being yeah. a non-human like i'm ex- I'm excited for him too just because he's been so enjoyable on shield like i'm glad to see, to see anybody being announced to being in something else is cool but yeah. to, but to see him have some success now is neat because I, I think that he's got a little bit of that to shield because he was mostly background stuff before yeah yeah you're probably right um okay trying to find where i love um, extra robot yeah so enox is very robot-y droid companion type here um and then Gemma walks in and fit sees her and enox was enox like would you like an introduction that is Gemma simmons and he's like why the fuck would i need an introduction to Gemma? um that's Gemma simmons and enox is like well that is the marauder protocol to be introduced to the slaves i don't understand <laughs> anyway so he's instead- but but i like that he's still in character even though it's just the three of them <laughs> instead they decide to go mingle with the other bidders and marauders um and sonara and kasayas are standing at the front of the room and sonara kind of nods at fits and kasayas is like oh yeah like i don't know a lot about him apparently he has a very like you know menacing reputation and she wants him to to watch fits she's like suspicious one thing that really bothers me about Sonara's character and we'll talk about this probably more next episode the next couple episodes probably is like this is an Asian actress and she's totally filling that stereotype role of like silent warrior (laughs) and subservient to a white dude like there's a couple awful stereotypes at play at once and she does a great job with it but it's also just like why is that still happening and she's being covered up in alien makeup, so mm-hmm. you don't even know she's Asian. It's like, yeah. I remember being bothered by this when, when we were watching this, too, because The Expanse was out at this point, and her character was, like, kind of, like, she was a very heavy presence in the first season, but she didn't have a lot of screen time as well. So it's like, oh, cool. Like, she's basically, you know, being fridged for the main white character in that show. Not to give, you know, spoilers for The Expanse, but... <laughs> Um, I don't know. I was like, this actress is kind of being wasted, <laughs> but whatever. Anyway, um, so Gemma is standing at a table of food or something like that. And she's just like staring outside, looking at all the rocks and the destroyed earth and Fitz comes up behind her and he starts whispering to her and he's like, just play it cool. And he doesn't realize that she can't hear him. And he talks about how he's crossed time and space just to be with her. And he has this really beautiful speech. Um, and he's like, the universe can't stop us. You know, we have survived time travel, space travel, um, 
you know, we survived the bottom of the Atlantic and a love like that is stronger than any curse. You are, you and I are unstoppable together. And then he asks her to marry him, but she can't hear him. And then he's like, I didn't mean play it that cool. And then <laughs> he's like, hello. And then Cassius comes over and he's like, oh, is something wrong? And Fitz plays it in character. And he's like, how like you're I asked something from for your from your servant and she ignored me and because I was like oh well you know I I take away their hearing or whatever he says and and Fitz is like how are your guests needs supposed to be met if your slaves can't hear them and so Cassius he gets tricked into lifting Gemma's hearing back and so she can now hear everything that's going on and and Cassius tells Fitz how unique Gemma is, and she traveled through time with the Destroyer of Worlds, and that's why her her complexion is so flawless. And he's a fucking crazy. I hate him so much. <laughs> yeah, and um, and then Fitz tells Cassius that he um he thinks they start talking about like how to motivate the slaves or motivate human or whatever they're talking about, and Fitz talks about how I think pain is the best motivator. He's really playing into this like evil character. And then Cassius tells Gemma to go um, uh, see the bounty of their harvest or whatever he says, basically to go check out the kids that they that they grabbed. Um, and him and Fitz have a, like a little standoff. Um, and this is where we find out what the harvest actually is, is they performed herogenesis on these humans and they call it the harvest. So Tess shows our team of only three people now, Mac, Yo-Yo and Coulson. Excuse me, I'm drinking a beer and I'm belching. <laughs> trying to step away from the mic when I do that. Um, she to- she shows our small team, uh, the teenagers that are being held by the Kree, and they're standing on this platform um, that has like uh, basically on top of like a vent. And um, she shows them Flint, and um, like the rest of the the teens up there have like family members talking to them and basically saying goodbye just in case they get turned into in- or their inhuman genes get awakened. And um, she starts telling Coulson about how, you know, I he, his parents died. Um, and so, like, I kind of basically telling Coulson how she kind of took care of him and took care of him and helped him out and like gave him flight lessons and stuff like that and let him sleep in the, the little docking bay. And Coulson's like, you should go say something to him like he doesn't have anybody else. And so she's like his only family. Um, so she goes and basically is like yeah you'll be fine you're good and like gives him a little pep talk gives him a hug and he's flint is worried because he's like i wasn't supposed to go through the mist for another two years um so i guess i think we were wondering about this before but i guess all kids do they do try to turn all of them and they're they're like weird genetic experiments just don't always work and so the mists are safe for non inhumans for normal humans so that that this is our, but, our question. And also, but they, and also, but they usually do them when they turn eighteen, which I think they mentioned in a pre in the previous episode. Yeah, that girl, one of the girls, or the inhuman guy that can read people's minds, I think, tells Daisy right. that or something, right? Oh yeah, or either that or the girl told Gemma. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What's her? Yeah, the one who could Abby. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he's sixteen now. I guess that gives us his age. Which is, um, so anyway, the kids. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, you think like based on what, what we were exposed to, you know, with with uh, the Inhumans on Earth and everything and, and Jiaying, it's it seems like there's a reason why they why they would wait till they're 18, because like 
you're further along in your development. You're not smack dab in the middle of puberty when you're, you know, a teenage boy. It's like you're still, they're still developing and they're changing who they are while that's still happening. And it feels like it's maybe there, there was, a, there were reasons why they would wait. And it, it's, it's not just like scary, but maybe also potentially like extra dangerous. Like, I don't well, know. If it's, you think about the girl that may had to kill. Right. She, the whole reason that, like, her didn't her mom, like, go rogue and put her through terrorism yes. when she was really young? And the like when girl she was, an, like, either an infant or a really small child. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, it over, her powers overwhelmed her and she didn't, she lost, like, all moral, like, compass and, and just was just enjoying making people be torturing each other. And it's like, yeah, no, I think that there's a good, there's, there's something to that. You know, you, you want to have someone know what, right and wrong is before you give them the power of a god or whatever like yeah I yeah can, i can get that yeah um and then i think yo-yo says something here about how like she's like i remember going through terogenesis and like these this this is terrible like these kids shouldn't have to do this because it's very traumatizing and right. she was you know much older <laughs> she's a full adult um so that you know that's another element to it as well um but I don't know. That might be different because, like, she didn't know what it, being an inhuman was or terogenesis was, and I feel like these kids might be a little bit more mentally pre- and emotionally prepared just because this is kind of the world they live in and they know it's that at least not are a thing. It's not quite as surprising and scary as a result, right? Like, like, yeah. Like, I don't know. But I guess these inhumans get taken away, so they never get to talk to them about their experiences. Whew. So I don't know. It's interesting. Well, and, they're not, and they're not being like cared for well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, no one is. <laughs> right, yeah, also true. <laughs> so, so anyway, the kids are like standing on this platform, and the Cree that are in charge break the crystals, and this mist comes up through the vents, and nothing happens at first, and they're like, "Okay, what the hell?" And then a husk starts to form around Flint, and you know, he's like, "I can't watch this," and she walks away, and the husk bursts, and Flint is not in there; he's disappeared. Um, and then we see that Yo-Yo grabbed him and ran him over to Grill's shop um, to save him. He's like, what the fuck? <laughs> and um, this is him finding out that she's inhuman. <laughs> anyway, um, back in Cassius's whatever his, this room is, uh, they're di- the bitters and Cassius are dining and Fitz is there. And... Um, I forget the dude's name, but he's like the white dude who I feel like I've seen him in something else recently. He looks very familiar. I need to look up this actor, <laughs> but he's this like arrogant dude. And I think Enoch said something about him too, how he can't stand him. Um, he talks about how uh, that Cassius was apparently exiled from uh, what's the name of the Cree planet again? Uh, shit. Paula. Yeah, thank you. The homeworld? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he was exiled, um, and but we don't know if he's from there. Because they have like a whole empire. Anyway, whatever. Um, and I guess his brother is the one who inherited the empire, and he oversees everything else while his father, their, their father rules or whatever. Um, and meanwhile, Daisy and the other Inhumans are standing in the room, just waiting to be bid for, I guess. And her and the the mind-reading Inhuman, which I found out his name was Ben. We find out later in this episode his name is Ben. So her and Ben are trying to plot. And she's like, look, we'll, you know, let's do this and this and this. And Ben's like, stop thinking that you have a choice. We're slaves. Which, oh, God, that hurts. Um, 
and uh, he's like, just hope that we don't get paired up together because clearly he's like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> um, and that, that blonde dude, Bitter, he um, he announces, I brought this delicacy, this Zendarian snail, and oh, everyone's ooing and aahing. And, um, and another human just like conversationally asks Hesias, how do you control your human population so well? And Fitz is like, he has them kill each other. And then everybody kind of like stops and is like, what um and he's like that's what i would do and he kind of like goes down the list and he lays out how cassius has ritualized controlling the population through games through the what do they call it whatever the life for a life thing God. why can't i not why can we both not remember this <laughs> yeah. i want to say reckoning but that's not the word it's something else yeah i can't remember whatever the the event that where they like choose a bunch of people and they have to like kill each other or someone else has to die or whatever. So he, he's made games out of it and he's made it like a ritual. Um, so that it's, I don't know, it's like part of their culture now and everyone is just silent <laughs> and Cassius breaks the silence by kind of laughing. He's like, Oh, finally someone with a similar mind. And he's kind of like guffawing. And, um, Oh, uh, the bitter, the, the guy who brought the snail is telling, you know, he's talking about how, you know, Fitz, you're, or he doesn't say Fitz, but whatever his name is, you're not eating your snail. Is something wrong? And he's like, I don't eat mushy animals. And he insults everybody. And he's like, or, and I don't care for the people that do. And I don't know. He just says like this really like snotty. <laughs> Like, it, it's a good cover. Yeah. It, he doesn't like, it sounds like he really does fucking just hate all those rich assholes which right mm -hmm. now in this current era like i'm sort of extra yeah. like i was with him when i watched it a, a couple of years ago but even more so today <laughs> then he said something like i don't like moist things he's like i don't yeah, like eating moist things he's like, I, like like there's something gross about them like and you know the fat people shoveling them in their mouths like, like he's yeah. so harsh it's yeah. it's 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 the most i feel like we've seen fitz be hateful towards anyone other than ward outside of the framework yeah. <laughs> um, and I feel like this totally has an element of truth to it for him because he obviously doesn't want to be there. Um, but this is like amusing to everybody. They all start laughing, except for the snail guy. He's like staring at Fitz and he's just like, I don't like you. And then Fitz smiles at him. <laughs> um, oh, the guy who you were you were talking about, uh, the blonde dude. I had to look it up because I was like, I, I, I couldn't remember who he was, but I knew who you're talking about. His name is Patrick Fabian, and he's been in like a bajillion things our whole lives like he's been in movies and tv for like the past like 30 something years and uh i think right now he's pretty famous for being in better call saul oh yeah and i know him best as a, a crooked professor on the college season of uh saved by the bell the college years <laughs> what's his name his his real name is patrick fabian but he played professor jeremiah lansky who had an affair with kelly <laughs> And it, that pissed Zach off. Not just because he was in love with Kelly, but because he was a professor. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I wish I didn't have as vivid memories of that as I do, but I remember that like it was yesterday. <laughs> His character's name is Senator Gaius Panarian. <laughs> oh, God. It's such a, an amazing name. <laughs> God. Panarian. I know. Yeah, Better Call Saul is definitely what are, who I remember him from. Well, you he's said something like recent, the, and I'm like, ooh, he's in that. <laughs> he's the partner right. lawyer that's like, works with the lady that Saul likes or whatever. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's a really, <laughs> a really great description. But I know, I, know I, I do know who you're talking about, though. So. Dude, he, he's been in Rizzolian Isles. Maybe it was him and the brother DVD. Oh, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> he has a really long resume in television. Yeah, Holy he's shit. He's been in television forever. And he's been in a movie since 98. Like, he's that guy. He's in Xena. Oh, <laughs> damn right. Oh, my God. Melrose Place? Yeah, he's on 90210. I bet it's not Saved the by same the Bell. Per- I bet it's not the same person uh, uh, that he played on on that. I looked yeah. up someone. I can't remember who. Oh, uh, Lauren Ambrose from Six Feet Under the other day. Uh-huh. And I looked it up, and the first three credits she has are different people on Law and Order. <laughs> like over there, with like two years between each one. It's like she got cast when she was 11, when she was 13. <laughs> she's like, she just kept getting cast in Law and Order. I don't think he has a Law and Order. <laughs> That's kind of amazing. I'm but, uh, see. I don't think he has I one. I think most 55-year-old actors have been on Law He does have a 24 credit, which I feel like is, you know, and CSI. Oh, CSI <laughs> is basically Law Basically Law and Order. Yeah. Boston Common? What? Oh, I remember that show. He was also yeah. a jerk professor on that. Yep. He, he was, like, the main, like, competition for the love interest. He was, he was the, the snooty oh, guy. yeah. Uh, although they might have replaced him because I remember I a different he, guy. Yeah, because it says he's only in the pilot. Yeah, so they replaced, replaced him with a with, with a, a brown haired guy who's like a lot more. I don't know. I don't know, like, like prissy in a weird way. Yeah. Like, like, like I I get why they why they recast him, but no, I remember him. Man, I need to figure out some way to monetize <laughs> my yeah. stupid brain. So he was in two different CSI shows, Miami and then just the regular Las Vegas one. So that's yeah, fantastic. that's basically on order. Oh, Boston Legal. <laughs> and Boston Cop. <laughs> I know. Desperate Housewives? Hawaii Five-0? Yeah, he's like been fucking everything. You're right. Anyway. You d- thank uh, you for finding that out because I knew show, he'd been in definitely. something. Well, and anyone who's watching the show, I'd say they could, they could recognize him from any number of things. But if you if you watch TV, you recognize him from something. Yeah. He's just that generic snobby white dude. <laughs> yeah. Almost always plays like a dude who's either smug or having an affair or something along those lines. Like, <laughs> oh, He's been typecast. <laughs> smug white man. Anyway, so um, the Cree that is in charge of the kids that have been um, gone through, or I guess only one of them went through gender genesis is like something's different. Something's going on. And he's suspicious about, what happened here he's like i don't think he's gone i think something something is afoot <laughs> and so um colson starts to realize he's like i think i know what happened to flint and he knows what yo-yo did and so they go to to grills i don't know what to call it work zone i keep calling it different things i really don't know what to call it <laughs> um and Flint's like, no, I want to go back. They treat inhumans really well. Like they reward their families, even though it doesn't have a family. And then um, Flint <laughs> and uh, Coulson said something about like how, you know, yo, he's inhuman, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, I figured that out. Um, and he's like, yeah, we came here with, we're not from here, but we came here with other inhumans too. And Flint's like, oh, like this guy. And he looks at Mac and Yo Yo's like, nah, he's just cool. <laughs> no, that was such a great moment. And Mac like has a, a moment where he smiles and it's just so great. Cause it's like, it's the closest thing to Mac having an ego is him like yeah. accepting the compliment that he's just, he's just really cool. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> it was adorable. And I really love that they have 
they have this moment with Flint, and then we see what happens with in season six, like when Flint comes back um, at the end of season six, and they like I don't know, they just have this like I didn't realize, I didn't remember that him and Yo Yo had this connection for some reason. No, I think um, it's even more. I think it maybe is even like a more more intense before the season ends. I'm just yeah. barely remembering some of the stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We... I knew that. Like, I mean, I remember that he was like one of the main reasons how they got back to the present. But I didn't. I just didn't remember his what his relationship was with you know individual members of the team. But now it makes sense that like him coming back in season six is like a really big deal to Yo-Yo and Mac because there were, he was like such a big part of their lives and Yo-Yo was such a big part of Flint's life and like him, you know, finding out his powers and things like that. So I don't know. It's, it's no, they, nice they, to. Well, and after slight spoiler for what we're going to talk about in a few minutes yeah. in, in this <laughs> season, like they kind of replace someone as his caretakers, you know, they, they, they yeah. kind of fill that role. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Tests, yeah, we'll get to that in just a second. Um, so yeah, Max cool and he likes it. Um, so they 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 try to make this plan to hide Flint and get to the surface of the earth so they can investigate where that signal was coming from. And Tess is like, you know what, I'm gonna go secure a trawler and I'll figure this out, don't worry. And Colton's like, Do you need help? And she's like, No, I need to go alone, which you know is code for she's dead. So, <laughs> of course, um, Cassius. Um, calls Fitz refreshing. He's like, it's so refreshing to have you here because you're just as violent and twisted as I am. Um, and he offers him a front row seat to the inhuman battle that's about to happen in the arena. And um, the mind reader, Ben, comes out and he is not going to fight another inhuman. He is going to fight a blast from the past, Melinda May. <laughs> so Melinda May has been trapped in some uh, creep cell just you know waiting to be in human fish food or whatever so yeah this is where may has been um and uh they start fighting and and fitz casually asks Cassius, you know who else traveled through time with the destroyer and he starts to get some intel like um Cassius knows that Gemma was one of them but you know, and they they slowly found out that may came through with them and they think there's more but they're not sure um, he asks, you know, he starts getting information about his family. So I guess Cassius's father is like the greatest warrior he's ever known. He really respects and looks up to him. And um, he calls his situation at being in charge of the station a tragic misunderstanding. <laughs> and I know we find out what happens later. Um, but I find it interesting that they're trying to, I don't know if they're trying to necessarily like stoke sympathy for this character but giving him a story of like why he's so bitter is interesting <laughs> um, and it's like it's this weird thing because even the people who are living in the lap of luxury there are still not there by choice and i was i was like trying to work it out in my head like these sort of moral relativism stories where everyone there from from their baseline is like suffering like like even Cassius. Mm -hmm who's this spoiled, petulant asshole. Like, if he defied his dad, he wouldn't He wouldn't have this shit. If he didn't yeah. run this awful place this way, then he would have nothing. He'd just be out yeah. on, on the street. So it's like, it, it doesn't really excuse any of it, but it's just yeah. showing, like, 
they're just in a fucked up dystopia. <laughs> like yeah. no one nobody is wants getting, to no be there at all. Yeah, no <laughs> one is accomplishing anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> it just shouldn't exist, huh? <laughs> like Trump's in charge. <laughs> it's like yeah. when you when you think about when this is made and how it was probably like conceived and finalized, like a yeah. year into Trump's administration, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, Trump clearly doesn't want to be didn't want to be president. I don't know about now, but maybe he's like drunk on power. But I can't imagine it was very like obvious for a while that he did not want to be president. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't, weren't giving him the response he expected, which is just insane. But like he he feels like I like it because there is some of that there. If it's like very obvious when you think about it. But he's also not like, like just a clear Trump stand in. Like it's not just something that's so blatant that. You're just like, well, this is their Trump or whatever. But, yeah. like, but at the same time, when you show the story of a pampered, spoiled asshole who's always trying to live up to weird daddy issues and is ruining shit with the power he has, it's hard not to draw some parallel. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oof. There's some other parallels we could bring up with slavery and, oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and keeping humans in cages and oh, all kinds of things. So yeah. anyway... um. Cassius Fitz offers to to help Cassius find favor with his father again. And so Fitz is trying to obviously like get an ally with him so that he can get Daisy and Gemma and, and leave. Um so he's gonna try and help Cassius out um in the long run. Which this goes south very quickly. Meanwhile, <laughs> May is not doing so great in the arena because Ben clearly knows all of her moves and he's also a great fighter. Um, and he starts talking, he's like chatting with her. It's funny cause he's chatting with her through her mind and she's responding like verbally, which she doesn't need to do. <laughs> like he could just read her mind. Um, but it makes me wonder like, what does Cassius think is happening? Like, does he know that Ben can, has that also that side of his power now? Like, I don't know. It was a little weird, but maybe he figured it out here and that's why he wants to punish him after this. So, um, he like kind of chats with her and is like, yeah, you know, sorry. Like this is just, it, it is what it is. And he's like very ruthless still. And she like wants to work together and she kind of begs him and he's like, what, what is it with you guys wanting to work together? <laughs> um, and he tells her if they don't, if one of them doesn't die, if they don't obey Cassius, they'll end up going to the surface and they will be roach food. And I don't know if Fitz heard that or if may may kind of looks up at them and is like, do something. <laughs> Um, and Fitz stands up and he's like, I'm bored by this fight. What is this? And he's like, I don't care. I, I came here to see the destroyer of worlds. And Cassius is like, well, you know, they're going to kill each other. I promise you there will be death. And, um, he's like, why don't you just send her to the surface? That'll be like, that'll be more interesting than, than what we're seeing here. And so Cassius agrees and he decides to send May to the surface of the earth. <laughs> Um, I feel like that's a huge 180 from the conversation that him and Cassius were having in the moment. They're like getting all deep and like talking about daddy issues because Fitz starts talking about daddy issues too. And then all of a sudden he's like, I'm bored. <laughs> like... <laughs> no, and like, oh man, like I know I'm just really getting into thinking about this and the motivations and stuff, but is Fitz like channeling framework Fitz? Is he like, oh, I know this guy because I was this guy, this petulant yeah. asshole with power who was always trying to live up to this fucked up relationship with his dad. And always trying to find a way to get his approval and never meeting that standard. And using people. Like, like, I feel like he has, but, but like, I think not, not that Fitz is the most self-aware guy a lot of the time, like his whole, his whole conflict with Gemma, the first half of 
previous season was because he's just oblivious about some shit. But you know, not seeing why she was upset about him keeping a secret. But he, uh, I think at this point, because of the nature of how his guilt is for, for the framework, I'd say it's very feasible he's aware of the sh- of, of the similarities because of felt like guilty feels and is like able to pull off this shit and manipulate better than he's ever been able to manipulate anyone ever before. <laughs> he's not been like a award guy who does get in people's yeah. heads and make them do what he wants, you know, like, but now he's channeling his intelligence in that way. Like he, like he did in the framework. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. God, that's fucking. Which is genius. Even, <laughs> it's also, it's so fucked up. That he's using his framework self to analyze a clear framework self and to relate to a bad guy. <laughs> what, 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 like he's using the good fits is using the bad fits to his own advantage, but it involves like weird bad fits introspection. Oh, God damn. They're so good. <laughs> they're really good. I never thought about the parallels between framework fits and Cassius until Cassius? this conversation. Oh, me either. How do we miss that? I know. <laughs> God damn it. I mean, they're so good. And maybe like a small part of him does want to help Cassius get that relationship with his father because I felt like he was more genuine in that moment that he has because he clearly goes from having like a somewhat genuine conversation, whether that's good fits or framework fits. I mean, it's all kind of wrapped up in this into the into one fits at this point. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. to they're, they're not they're not separate anymore. They were and now they're one guy. <laughs> yeah, just like the way that the conversation shifts from, like I said, from him having this kind of genuine conversation about daddy issues to him being like, I want May to die on the surface of the earth. It's like maybe that was a real conversation. <laughs> Right, and he he is still he doesn't actually want May to die. He's still manipulating things yeah. because they're both manipulative assholes. But that doesn't mean they don't actually like each other and they're not friends. This <laughs> like, is fucking insane. Oh, I don't remember like what happens after this between the two of them because I know that there's some kind of standoff between Cassius and everybody else. I know he doesn't. See, I think die. that it's, I, I I think it's probably like a mixture. I feel like he may want to help him and may see himself in him and maybe also because he sees himself in him even more than wanting to repair his relationship with his dad want him to help him get past it and like maybe become a better person because he'd be past it and like be able to make better choices and do right by people or whatever but on some level i think he just hates him because he sees himself in him and he sees him objectify abuse and be cruel to Gemma. and you put those two things together seeing framework fits in him and seeing that and I think he just fucking hates him. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. even even though on some level he may want to help him because because he also hates himself at this point. <laughs> like yeah, that's true. Oh God, <laughs> poor Fitz. He was such a sweet boy to start. <laughs> sweet, innocent, awkward boy. <laughs> he really got fucking put through the ringer. Oh God, come so far. Yeah. So now, well, as far as I've seen in season seven, I don't know where Fitz is. <laughs> he has disappeared again. <laughs> Don't tell me. <laughs> um, um, same. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that much. So, um, uh, Tess is going to secure the trawler, and the one of the Cree that was in charge of the Terragenesis stuff comes up, and she asks, she, uh, he asks her if she, if she's seen Flint. She's like, "No, why would I? Like, you know, he just disappeared. I don't know." And he like suspects her, and he's like, "Well, if." If I find any funny business, like you're gonna, there's gonna be consequences. And she's like, okay, whatever. Um, meanwhile, Flint is like pacing around the room and he doesn't know what his powers are. He's like, why don't I know? 
Um, and Yo-Yo is like, well, I didn't know what my powers were until I was like eating tacos and blah, blah, blah. And she starts telling her story. And Flynn is like, what are tacos? And Mac is like, what the fuck? What kind of future is this with no tacos? It sounds terrible. <laughs> he's just no, so I like that that's his breaking point his too. Yeah. He's lost it so much and he's freaking out about so many different things. But it's like, like that is the line. no tacos. <laughs> like, like, which I also distinctly remember being like, if Mac weren't already my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, that is a fair assessment. Like no tacos. I mean, it's funny. Me and Billy were eating gyros the other night. And I was like, this is basically just a giant taco and tacos are delicious. And that's why we like gyros too. <laughs> and sandwiches are kind of tacos too. <laughs> Every culture has a taco. Anyway. And Yo-Yo was like, yes, tacos are a food and they're delicious. And so she starts to tell Flint about her transition. And she's like, yeah, I would just think I'm going to go to the kitchen. And suddenly I was there and back. Like, it was crazy. I thought I was going nuts. I thought somebody had put cocaine in my soda. <laughs> like, yeah, she, she said her cousin Francisco tried to get her to have an exorcism and she was this close to listening. <laughs> like she, yeah. she, was that she was losing her mind because she didn't know what was happening. And like, and this is what you're talking about. Like they bond so much. It's really great and done very effectively. Like it's from real economy of storytelling. Like they get that. They, you can tell that they're connecting and bonding really quickly yeah. and really genuinely for for one of these shows like it feels the pacing feels really good and i feel like this is the point where i really felt like yo-yo was part of the cast because she's kind of like last season she was kind of in and out she kind of showed up for like plot convenience or like when the inhumans were you know gonna well no yeah kind of <laughs> so well, she last, just wasn't really around I, last season i don't think it's fair to say that she's uses a prop for max development because i don't think that's true i think she gets development from yeah, it too, I do too but it's all very centered around her relationship with mac and i, and I don't mean to say it like that because that sounds oversimplifying it because it's not one of those she's, she's never been one of those characters that's entirely defined that way or that it's a detriment i think but at the same time, when you don't get any of this stuff and you don't get any of the growth of her relationships with anyone else, it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is. That's true. But I, I feel like we haven't heard this story before. Like we we don't really know a lot about Yo-Yo. Other than sure being like a freedom fighter, right? Like we don't yeah. know anything, anything else. And that she really digs Mac and she thinks he's cool and like. Which we all get, but. And loves him. Like. <laughs> And, you know, her her cousin died or whatever when they were trying to, like, recruit her. Like, that's kind of kind of all we know, which is kind of a hard ass, too. Because I remember when her cousin died, she was just kind of like, oh, yeah, things happen or whatever. <laughs> yeah, we, get to know, we get to know a lot of her personality through things, but, hmm. but we don't get to see her relationship with the others develop as, as much and as consistently as we got the, that core crew in the first couple seasons. We got to really see how they grew together. But with Yo-Yo, like, you don't get to see her relationships with other people bloom as much because of maybe the way the framework season's set up and how separated everyone is. Like, Yeah. Um, but, I mean, she is clearly, like, very much a part of the, rec- uh, like, a cast member in this yeah. season. And she develops a ton more, <laughs> like, later. Having um, her mid just, like, the next few episodes. Went. Having her mentor Flint is huge, I think. Like yeah, it's just I agree. It's, it's just a new facet of her and a new just just to complete it it, it 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 pains me to say it because I'm not trying to be overly critical and I and I don't think they've done a bad job. And like I said, I don't think it's one of those situations where 
being so connected to another to one other character and they're in a relationship with is been detrimental she's not donna on that 70s show you're, you're mm-hmm. just like why the fuck is she does she go back to that asshole at the end of the yeah. series you know <laughs> like, like you get why yo-yo loves mac like yeah. it's like and she's a well-rounded character not in spite of it but partially because of it but yeah we need more and this is the yeah. first time they're really giving her a fair a fair share of screen time and like you said like it does just feel the way the other characters interact with her the way the show interacts with her every everything is allowing us to really get to know her to the full extent of the character and they're exploring her as well as she deserves to be explored yeah and you know what um she was totally introduced as her own person and like was not really in, you know, connected to Mac in that way for quite a while. Um, But I do remember like Mac is the first one that finds her and they kind of start off with this, like he's like really annoyed that like this little girl can best him and is like, she's speaking Spanish and he can't understand her. (laughs) And it's like this whole thing. And it just, we get to see like how their relationship turns into what it is now. And so it's not like she was, that's just all her character was like, you're right. Like it, like we have learned about her through Mac. Um, and I think like, you know, like they share a lot, they share one of the reasons why we love both of them is like, they, they share a lot of things that we love about Mac, like their faith, their, their, their love of pop culture and right. and, and hating robots. robots and- yeah. <laughs> no, no, I was going to say too that I feel like because there's such a weird whirlwind of thirds of seasons, that at the very beginning of the previous season of season uh, four, uh, right, All right, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Uh, I'm not even sure anymore. Um, we do see the way her relationship is with, with uh, Daisy a little bit too, when, yeah. when she's helping yeah. Daisy being on the run. And like, I feel like it's just that sucks because it's there, but it's all like them like playing phone tag briefly and like checking in. Like, like there's not a whole lot of like meat to it as far as time spent with it, even though they establish it and they do it well. But like, you, you, you that's one of the detriments I think to those three season things where they're having tons of arcs for ton, tons of characters with three season stories. It's a lot of fun and it's jam packed, but those big romantic arcs are the ones that get the attention and little things like character development for the newest characters fall to the wayside. Just think of all the time we could have saved if we didn't ever have Lincoln. We could have spent all that time on Yo-Yo. <laughs> God, just makes me so mad. <laughs> but does that make it worse somehow? <laughs> I was just thinking today, like... I don't know. I was just, I was like sanding my furniture and like getting ready to put paint on it. <laughs> it's just thinking, imagine all the time that we've wasted on these boring ass, mediocre, cis white male characters that like could have been so much more interesting. Like how much time have we wasted? <laughs> how much time in all of the media that we have consumed our entire lives? Like and I'd say that of uh, all the characters on shield, like Lincoln is the one that jumps off uh, out, of, out, of, out to mind, like as a main character, that just shouldn't have existed or should have had a spot filled by someone else and been written better, cast better, everything better. But like every single show has one, at least those guys <laughs> like like most shows have way more than one yeah. so just like if you add that up that's so much of television god it's just like how much time wasted no for now sure I that's feel insane like... <laughs> where oh. are we at um we're wrapping up right no we still have like 
quite a bit more. <laughs> we've been we've been we've been talking about about deep stuff. There's it's it's of- all about the episode. I feel yeah. bad because we, we're not going as fast as I as I thought we might, but we aren't we aren't diverging with like weird shit. <laughs> well, my internet not- hasn't crapped out yet, so I feel like we're okay there. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> weird. Anyway, so oh, so Yo Yo is telling her story of like how she transitioned, and I don't want to use that word. How she discovered her powers and um as she's telling her story grill shows up and like magnetizes all of their metrics to the wall and he's like oh ha, ha, ha. i knew there was something weird about you guys and now he knows that flint is like being held here and so he's gonna sell them to kasai be a very rich man um so um Back in Cassius's room of many functions, the bidders are upset because he's not going to sell Ben. Um, he knows that Ben betrayed him and lied to him, and so he wants to make him a public example. And Ben, he turns off his inhibitor, and Ben reads Cassius's mind on what he's going to do and what he knows, and he's like, "Oh no! Like, please don't, please don't!" And he's like, "I can't tolerate lying." in my slaves or whatever the fuck he says. And so Sonara kills him right in front of Daisy. And she's like, no, it was me. And he's like, oh yeah, we'll deal with you, you later. <laughs> but first this guy. Oh, and so back to, back to grill. He like, he's like, oh, something interesting happened. I found out one of my pilots was fighting in the pit <laughs> in the arena and is now on the surface of the earth. So. Um, I really need to know why you guys didn't have metrics. You're going to tell me now. And so Coulson tells him the truth and Grill starts laughing because he's like, okay, like you're just going to play this like bullshit prophecy angle. Like, okay, whatever, which is kind of ironic. Um, and he's like, well, I'm going to turn you in anyway, and I'm going to be a very rich man. It's going to be great. And I don't care. And Flint's powers start to manifest and these rocks on the ground start to float because he's getting very angry because Grill also keeps zapping Mac and Yo-Yo and it's very rude. Um, so Daisy is in her room on the floor and she's very upset because Ben was killed right in front of her and she couldn't do anything about it. And so Gemma comes in to comfort her and they start talking about Fitz. And I'm like, how the fuck did he get here? And like, what is he doing? And, um, she's like, Daisy's like, yeah, the whole like bounty hunter thing is like totally like he could get it. And Gemma's like, well, I prefer him in cardigans. It's like, no, you would Gemma. <laughs> no, it's very sweet. I know it's, it's very sweet. I did. I did like uh, Daisy though. It almost seemed like it wasn't like it wasn't played for comedy. It wasn't like, like done up like it would be in some shows or some situations where she was like pained to admit it. But at the same time, it did feel like it was something that Daisy wouldn't necessarily do tell fits <laughs> like, yeah. like it was something that she was just telling jim like I, even i gotta admit like he looked pretty good as a bounty hunter and, yeah and, yeah like, but she would never tell fits that yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I like it because of their relationship it's like even though there was never anything going on with her and trip like she'd absolutely tell trip he looks good because he yeah. would and he would want to hear it but it's like it's just everyone's individual unique relationships and like before the darkness of the end of this season at this point, Daisy and Fitz very a very much a brother and sister relationship, which is like which I like. And but like Gemma and Daisy are best friends. Like, of course Daisy would talk to Gemma like this about her yeah. boyfriend, you know? Like <laughs> No, it's this is good, this is good realistic character stuff. Yeah. Gemma and Daisy's relationship in general, because they're friends in real life, like it plays on screen very well. <laughs> Especially next season. 
Oh yeah, there's there's some really good moments next season. Oh god, we they get a real chance to, to, to. Well, I feel like they always do a good job with their friendship, but they do a real, real good chance to like let them have fun with it. Yeah, <laughs> like, for sure. Cool. Um, so Daisy's like, okay, if Fitz, Fitz's plan doesn't work, whatever his plan is, what are we gonna do? And Gemma, <laughs> I died laughing. Gemma pulled pulled out the knife that she stole from the table at dinner. She's like, I have a knife, and it made me think of that meme video where the mom is asking the little boy at like the the party the backyard party like what do you have and he's like a knife <laughs> they go no and he starts running away i don't think i've seen that one i have to, <laughs> I have to find that it came out after this aired i'm pretty sure but that's what it reminded me of and because the look on her face is just like look what i have i have a knife <laughs> and daisy's like yeah we gotta have something better than that <laughs> so so anyway, now you need to look up knife little boy backyard oh, I'll video. Because <laughs> it's great. Um, so Gemma leaves and she sees Fitz in the hallway, like kind of shadowed, and there's this like dramatic music playing, and they start walking towards each other. And then another inhuman slave interrupts and is like, We need you right away. And she takes Gemma away. And Fitz is kind of standing there, like, oh man. And then Enoch comes up behind him and he like scares him. <laughs> and he's like, We have a problem. There is a new bidder here that wants to acquire Daisy. And guess what? It's Cassius's brother. Great. Family affair. Um, so uh this is not correct. Grill starts zapping everybody and beats up on Grill. No, he doesn't. He beats up on <laughs> Flint. He <laughs> got real meta for a second there. Grill yeah, started like, beating wow. him. <laughs> Um, and which is like it sucks because, like we saw in the beginning of this episode, like he was kind to Flint. They kind of helped each other out. It just shows how this planet and this place just like it really fucks with people. It's really sad. Um, and so all of a sudden, all these rocks start flying and they're hitting people. And Coulson's like, "Ow!" <laughs> and Flint is like, and Grills like, "Stop that!" And Flint's like, "I don't know how. I don't know how I control it." And he pulls out a gun, which dude thought you weren't supposed to have guns um and he's like stop it now and he's like pointing it at flint and yo yo's like you can do it like this is your power like you can control it and so flint manages to gather a bunch of rocks and make a giant boulder and he smashes grill and kills him and everybody's like oh shit <laughs> and poor flint is like really traumatized by it it's really sad um so Fitz goes up to Cassius and he's like acting like he's pissed. He's like, what the fuck? Like, I thought we had a deal. Like, I was going to be the one to give a good bid on the destroyer. Like, now now your brother's coming? Like, what the fuck? And Cassius is like, meh, whatever. Like, just makes things more interesting, blah, blah, blah. Like, there's other Inhumans you can bid on. And, and um, you know, it's like, okay, I got something for you. And he hands him like this this bundle that's wrapped in cloth. And, and Fitz is like, I need you to do one more thing. And then we find out later what that is and it's Enoch being hilarious but anyway um a Cree goes into Grill's shop and is like looking around he's clearly looking for Flint he doesn't see anybody and and Grill's body is like hidden behind a desk and he he opens the door to the office and he, you know the body is like kind of seen off camera a little bit and he doesn't see anything else so he just leaves the door closes and the entire team is just hiding behind the door which I was like oh my god <laughs> Uh, really <laughs> and flint is super upset um oh wait i skipped something oh so um Kasai's brother shows up and um 
he was ordered by their father to come get the destroyer of worlds. Um, and he's like, Oh, um, but she shouldn't fight another inhuman. She needs to fight a Kree warrior. And he's like, and who better than your Sonara? And she's just kind of standing there like, what? <laughs> and, um, her and Kasaias are like clearly not happy about it. Um, and Kasaias clearly has no choice, but also he's like, well, we have an opportunity here. And he's like, I'm sure you'll give them a great show and walks away and clearly like because she asks him to the death like clearly sonara is not supposed to be the one to win daisy is supposed to be the one that wins because she's the one that's going to get bought after this so he's essentially just saying okay bye thanks for dying for me which sonara is obviously not happy with like that's fucked up so flint is upset because grill he's like he's he was my best customer and like like I said, at the beginning of the episode, we see that he was actually kind to him in, like, a very harsh world. <laughs> um, and they're like, yeah, sorry, man. Like, he, we had to, it had to be done. Like, whatever. And then Coulson and Mac go, I don't know why they go out to find Tess. Whatever. But basically, they <laughs> find her in the common area, hanging, dead, with a sign pinned on her saying, bring the inhuman. Another this is, like... Thinking- the worst instance of fridging we get the whole series it's really bad it's just like it's indisputable there's nothing else that it is it's just what it is yeah Yeah. sucks um so daisy and sonara meet in the arena and um brother brother Cree. i don't know what to call i don't know his name the brother is not impressed he's like this tiny little girl is the destroyer of worlds and kaisa is like oh you'll find that inhuman it's the same conversation that he had with lady basha like oh inhumans can be you know more than meets the eye and um oh his brother's name is is foul neck yeah i'm not gonna remember that (laughs) i'm not not either (laughs) he's played by a guy named samuel rukin that that i might remember (laughs) oh my god um So Kasaias is like, we need to take some precautions first. So he pulls up this force field. So obviously Daisy can't get to them because she's clearly powerful enough to do it. Fizz is like, oh, great. Like this kind of puts a, uh, complicates things. Um, and Sonara starts fighting before Kasaias gives the order. And his brother is like, hmm, apparently your, you know, your warrior is not taking orders from you anymore. because She's pissed. <laughs> Oh, and apparently that bundle that um, Enoch gave Fitz was a gun. So he like kind of pulls it out and kind of hides it back in his jacket. And Sonara and Daisy are fighting and Sonara is fucking badass. Like Daisy is like throwing everything at her, like quaking, whatever. And Sonara is just like, dude, she's she is a a true Kree warrior. She's great. I'm really sad that she doesn't make it, even though she's evil. (laughs) She doesn't deserve the death that she gets. No, she's Um, she's rad. Yeah. Um. I wish that she would have like did that whole there's a way that she I mean obviously like she's in this other timeline so she wouldn't exist in their in our our world their world anyway <laughs> the other timeline world um but I feel like she could be like fuck this like fuck fuck Cassius fuck the Cree like I'm you know going to reluctantly join up with you guys and help you and then you know fuck off somewhere I don't know go be a pirate anyway no that would have been good yeah and she gets to live and she's just not in the story anymore it's fine um so fitz um 
so so uh i think daisy like knocks sonara down like really hard and fitz kind of looks at Gemma and basically gives her a signal to move and so he takes out he he punches the snail guy in the face Gemma goes and slits kasaya's throat with a knife that she has and fitz starts shooting everybody daisy starts to quake up to the platform because sonara is knocked out but the brother turns on the inhibitor um, and so she falls back down to the ground and he turns on the force field and then Fitz shoots everybody else that's in the, the arena box. He turns off the field and her, him and Gemma jump down to join Daisy. And then Gemma asks Fitz to marry her and they but, they walk away. And they're like that whole action sequence, like the the fight was rad and then yeah. that was rad too, which was kind of yeah. unexpected. Usually they don't have cool two cool action sequences one right after the other, like in that quickest ban on the show i feel like yeah. like i usually spread out more so i was like yeah. whoa and like and, and this whoa. was very much this was very much like a uh flash gordon star wars kind of like this was okay. a han and i just Leia realized moment. something clark greg directed this episode it totally makes sense why it, it would have that feel because he's like into that kind of stuff yeah also is his wife on Brazilian isles <laughs> oh my god is he on Brazilian Isles? No, I'm gonna have. I this is this is gonna be more my time than it needs to be. I when it's gonna be spent trying to figure out this mystery. I think we're gonna uh, have a murder board with Brazilian Isles in the center and finding connections to all the cast members. On this just, episode. The, the, the first card underneath it is what the fuck is Brazilian? Isles? <laughs> no, um, I just uh, realized that Deke is not in this episode at all. Yeah, that's bonkers. That's weird. Anyway, um, so here we get. The last scene of the episode, Enoch is dressed as a Cree. <laughs> elevator oh door, and there's a guard there. He's like, what are you doing? Who are you? And he's like, I am a Cree, as I always have been, brother. <laughs> and then he's like, do you even know where you're going? Blah, blah, blah. Like, you're not allowed to go in there. People aren't allowed to go in there. And he shoots the Cree, and he goes, I am not a person. <laughs> and the episode ends. It's pretty awesome. Like that moment is amazing. I am a Cree as I have always been. <laughs> no, and there's something about it. Like he's in the same blue makeup that everyone else is in. It's not like it's actually a bad disguise, no. but at the same time, there's something so comical about it because it is the same exact dry delivery. It's like because if it was anyone <laughs> else, even if Fitz is doing a bad job or Gemma's doing her over the top character when she and and okay. uh, and and uh, Coulson were pretending to be father and daughter like even when it's done for for laughs or when the character's supposed to be bad at spying they still do some affect to be different but because he's a robot literally all he did was paint himself blue and have him say he's a Cree. <laughs> like, like the same tone and everything like it's so funny because there is oh god it, it's a it good it's a good direction and excellent performance from Joel Stoffer. <laughs> like he's he is so deadpan like because that's the thing like, i love c3po and k2 but they're both highly emotional you know, yeah. like, like he there's something about him that's like data or the vision in the old comics, like for a phase for a, a temporary period of time. Where but it's just like these these emotionless robots that, are, that still love people like that's yeah. the one thing they have is this dog like loyalty. To, yeah. Like to their friends. Like, but in every other way, they're just a toaster. Yeah. <laughs> like It's nothing like <laughs> like my favorite. AI stories, I think, like 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 Battlestar or whatever. It's none of the, like the questions of what makes you alive, what what makes consciousness what it is. Like none of that, none of those lofty questions. Just good old fashioned 
uh, friendship. Yeah, <laughs> and, and just just a video game. Uh, Super Nintendo, it's also your best friend. There's something very appealing, I feel like, to our generation. I <laughs> like the concept of that. Yeah. It's like, yeah. my Game Boy is also my friend. <laughs> he yeah. really is, Dan. Well, if you think about it, he's kind of the perfect friend. Like, you're, I mean, I, I love my friends. I love all of you. But, you know, we we disagree and we get emotional about things. And then there's conflict. And with Enoch, the conflict is much different between him and Fitz. It's just because he doesn't understand. <laughs> and, because- and all you have to do is say, I need you to Don't go away for this. 45 minutes or whatever. And he will be like, okay. Like, <laughs> Leave no me arguments here. I will like, leave. I got that. I can, I can make that happen. Done. Like it's just that he's he is he's the best friend in the world. Like like and I I love that that's become his catchphrase and she yeah. got him and, and trusted friend. I am a Cree, as I have always been. <laughs> yeah, and the brother, like like I don't know who know. he's trying to convince. I am one of you, I swear. <laughs> so good. But yeah, I put in the notes, this is definitely the episode where I really started living Enoch as a character. And I remember having this conversation with Billy. We're like, Oh man, I hope he sticks around because he's fucking fantastic. (laughs) I feel like it was probably around this time. Like I, I, my ears perked up just from the first episode with him and like that introduction, but like, so part of it too, like some of those questions were answered. I think already, but I didn't realize it. Like so much shit was going on in the season and in real life when it was happening, I didn't really absorb that. You know the drawings on his fridge were from were were from Robin. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, like, like there were little things that made me intrigued that that shouldn't have maybe. But this is like I was already on board, and this is what really sold him. I think because he is just it's not an entirely unique take on the robot buddy, but it's a perfectly executed version of this take. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> like Agreed. <laughs> oh God, it's so good. I didn't realize how long we've run. We talked quite a bit, and this was we only had one somewhat diversion, and it wasn't even a true diversion because it was related to the episode. It was directly related to the episode, <laughs> and, and and it wasn't as late. Like it wasn't nineteen minutes, like some of our diversions have been. <laughs> no, I'm proud of us for staying on topic. Like like you said, like, it's actual actual anal- analysis. I don't think we went too far up our own butts. <laughs> but as the oh. Massive amounts of uh, sirens in my distance uh, oh, I are indicating. One. I guess it's time to wrap up. <laughs> yeah. so, where can people find you? People can find me apparently in the middle of some disaster area. No, uh, I can be found at I Snow Nothing Online. Uh, yeah, where can people find you when they're looking for you online? Um, you can find me at Space Jess with four S's in the Jess on Twitter and Instagram. I think that's the only place, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know what else there is. Anyway, <laughs> you can find this podcast on Twitter at Project Tahiti. You can send us an email at projecttahitipod at gmail.com. Um, we're on all the things. If you're a browser listener, highly recommend you go to butwhythepodcast.com because we do post embeds. I just remembered that I did not post the embed you sent me a couple days ago <laughs> yet, so I will do that as soon as we're done. <laughs> go up on Tuesday just as it should have. <laughs> that was my nope. bad, not yours. <laughs> um, anyway, thank you all so much for listening to Project Tahiti. It's a magical place. I'll catch you later. Bye.